Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, fellas, this is Joe from San Diego, leaving a message for The Grit. Um, I keep hearing Chaz talk about Ashton overreacting and letting things get to him and having tough skin, but didn't this all start when Ashton basically called Chaz a Nepo husband and Chaz just simply couldn't handle it? You got you got to own it on your side too, man. And then finally, regarding the barrel or nah on uh, kissing your kids, what would you think if John John Florence's mother kissed him after winning the world championship? Or perhaps Dino Andino giving a little peck to Chloe? Just worth a thought. Keep up the work. I'll let you field this one. Beautiful. Uh, exactly right. I will own my Nepo husband, being called a Nepo husband by Ashton Goggins uh, and my reaction to it. But overreaction. Overreaction to it. I don't know that it was an overreaction. I'm going to say, I'm going to mm. say Ashton was in the wrong. Ashton deserved a sock in the mouth right there, which I should have delivered. I just lightly shoved him around. But what he said was both not true and rude. And I socked or should have socked him and then would have laughed about it later. And I did laugh about it later. So um, I'm going to say I was right. I see that even if he was right, you're saying it was not true. Even if it was true, it's not an insult. Like that's where the miscommunication uh, in hindsight was, is if your wife earns more than you, 
That's fully acceptable. That's totally okay. It's not offensive in any way, but him weaponizing that as an insult to you, like your wife earns more than you, ha ha, pointing the finger at you is actually very sexist. Totally. I mean, Ashton is an asshole. Let's just, we'll just put that, we'll just put that out there and he can laugh about it if he wants, if he so chooses, but if he chooses not to, then that's okay. Ashton's got to live with Ashton. Ashton has to wake up each and every day living with the heavy burden of being Ashton Goggins. Imagine that about being best friends to all surfers. He has to be a very knowledgeable man every day about the art of wave sliding, et cetera, et cetera. Tough to be Ashton. Um, What about the idea of Alex Florence kissing John John on the mouth after a pipe masters win or even better Dino Andino kissing Chloe. So this makes me take back all of my uh, criticism of kissing your child on the mouth. I mean, I think kissing your baby on the mouth is weird. I think once your baby turns to be a, how old's Kalahi? Is he 30 something? Yeah. 30 something uh, married surfer. If Dino planted a big one on Kalohe's mouth, it would be so epic. It would be absolutely peak surfing. We are flip-flopping big time because I was all for kissing your kid on the mouth last time we recorded. Now I'm anti when it's in these terms. And yes, it's problematic if you are parent-child. I think it's more of an age disparity. That's the problem here, which is even if you're married, I don't want to see a 30-year-old husband kissing the 30-year younger wife or older wife, younger husband. There's a certain age uh differentiation that just makes an old person kissing a young person weird regardless of whether you're a parent i hear you except for picture with me in your mind Kalohandino winning his very first ct event ever right it's been a long career it's been a long run how many years has it been on the ct 10 uh, yeah 10 100 events and 100 his event, he has a perfect a perfect record he is zero for 100. He has won uh, the Coldwater Classic, which was not a CT event. He's won some events, none of which have been CT events. So finally, I mean, he's won junior titles, US, yeah, like all of it, sure. except a CT event. All this pent up, all this pent up uh, desire and frustration and all of it coming out in a giant mouth kiss between Dino and Chloe. Dino grabbing Kolohe on the ears and just pulling him in for the kiss would be peak surfing. So who's uh, instigating the kiss? Is is Dino the one with all the pent up expectation or is Kolohe? I mean, I would imagine they both have an equal amount of pent up, like unrealized, just frustration. Imagine like what you could do with that energy. I bet you could uh, hook both Kolohe and Dino up I love saying Kalohe and Dino is one of my, when, when we don't get to do that anymore, it's going to be real That's a great sad. one. I never even yeah. thought about that. Kalohe really? and, and Dino. Yeah. And Dino. And Dino. When you hook, if you hooked Kalohe and Dino up, we go, there's the, the uh, mothball nuclear facility down by San Clemente, mm-hmm. you know, and Kalohe live close there. You could take them inside and hook them up and power Southern California off of their, pent up desire for a couple weeks i bet imagine okay, so, that. so he'd have Dead. to win considering the proximity he'd have to win lower trestles 
and immediately after that win, get hooked up to the generator at the power plant. But him and, and Dino have to Malcolm. be separated. No, they have to be separated oh, yeah. because That's it's true. the pent up energy. So they yeah. have to be separated physically, but staring into one another's eyes. And yep. the energy that is transferred there runs Southern California. I'm going to say for eight hours. I mean, at least, at least, at least eight hours. At least, like, yeah. There's no way. I mean, Kolohe, you look at him, right? He looks, he plays from time to time, happy-go-lucky, right? Like that he, you know, oh, it's, you know, whatever. He tries, he's, you know, working it out, saying the right things. I'm training, I'm trying, I'm blah, blah, blah. Kolohe is a competitor, right? He is a sportsman yep. on the same scale as like brett simpson for example except with more talent right kolohe like brett simpson i feel is a sporting surfer dad was a football player looks at surf as sport right yeah uh kolohe i feel is in the same vein as that except totally is twice as talented probably as brett right we're nothing against brett brett's a phenomenal surfer but i think he would also agree that kolohe is vastly more talented than him uh but also a sportsman sporting wants to win, right? This yep. is a competition. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, and Life all of is it, incomplete like, without the, it wins. is. And, and he has a, you know, beautiful family. Now Kolohe does as a father. He's like, of course, learning to find joy, uh, in the other avenues of life. But I have to think there is a trophy sized hole in that boy's heart. Totally. Well, it, you know, it'd be an interesting um, stat to find out. We're going to have to employ one of our listeners to do this work. Whose record is better, Dino Andino or Chloe Andino? I mean, it would be tough to say, I suppose, because there was, when Dino was on tour, uh, it was pre-dream tour. And so I can't remember like what were considered championship level events back then, right? Well, but the, the only question is, did Dino win an event? You know, well, like, right. Didn't he? I, I have no idea. I know he won. Uh, I think he also won like a U.S. Uh, title, like a nationals title. But I don't know if he won once he was on the ASP, on the CT. We need we need listeners to yeah, weigh in here. I'm not about to go to my computer ever. <laughs> And do oh, the- I did in preparation for the show. I did. I googled Dino Andino's uh, uh, wins or something like that, and it all the articles were pointing towards Kaloe Andino. They might be, and they would have Dino Andino's name in the article, but they were all about Kaloe. So I went to Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing because he's built out a contest uh, side of the website, but it was only up until 1990. And Dino came on like in 92 or something like that. Wow. The big mystery of Dino and Dino. I know. But not, well, this is going to be fun for a listener. Listeners I know. Yeah. I'm sure that there is a listener who just knows right off the top of their head. Yeah, of course. Dino won X, Y, and Z on the CT. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <clears throat> well, another Chloe and Dino news. Uh, he's off Oakley. Ooh, since when? Long time. Well, so this was reported on Stab. Uh, I guess Sam McIntosh was uh, in Hawaii collecting footage for how surfers get paid season two. And Kolohe had mentioned it, that he's no longer on Oakley. He had been on them obviously forever uh, since yeah, he was a kid, as long as I can remember. Yeah. yeah. And what was funny about this little story was that 
he went out and purchased a pair of Ray-Bans. Like, oh, I'm no longer tied to Oakley. I would always wanted Ray-Bans. So he goes and buys Ray-Bans only to find out later that they're both owned by the same company. Luxottica. They sure exactly. are. Amazing. Poor Chloe. Oh, can't Getting robbed left and right. Man. But I mean, so that's got to be 200K a year, right? That's like no longer in his pocket. I mean, I'm sure it was diminishing and has diminished over these okay. years. Is But yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it was definitely something. Yeah, uh, something for sure. It's funny because I uh, think of Kolohe and Oakley, right? But I cannot picture Kolohe in a pair of Oakleys. Like, I, I can picture Griffin Colapinto wearing the blades. somewhat ironically blades. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I can't... And I, I really honestly can't picture Kalohe in Sunnies. It's funny, the surfers, like I love sunglasses, right? Sunglasses fulfill a major, you know, need and fashion thing in my life. Uh, outside, you know, surfing beach. I don't like squinting, all these things. The surfers, I'm honest, like Kelly Slater notoriously doesn't wear sunglasses. It's crazy. Like, doesn't like sunglasses, doesn't wear them. I don't understand how you can be anywhere beach adjacent and not have a sunglass program. It really is bizarre. <laughs> and, but Chloe in the same way, I can't picture him wearing sunglasses. I know. I, I'm thinking of a few ad campaigns that I've seen him in where he had sunglasses, but they look like a forced fit. Yeah. Like Which maybe... Not, because he's been wanting to wear Ray-Bans all along. You know what I mean? It, it's so weird, poor Chloe, though. If you had freedom if he you know finally the shackles of oakley are off and he goes for a full-on price point like average like why didn't he go to t- like again and so maybe chloe doesn't have much pent up pent up frustration with stuff like because if your pent up frustration is finally i'm done with oakley i'm gonna let it all out on a pair of 120 dollars <laughs> ray-bans like well why did he go like you know, good pair of $500 Tom Fords or get some like crazy Versace or something like that. Right. Something that was just obscene, like just to really, if you want to stick the knife in Oakley, really show that, Hey man, look, I'm in a fashion glass now. Maybe he had like a Macy's gift card. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From Christmas. He was just waiting until the contract expired. Just burning a hole. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, welcome back. We missed last week. I suppose I owe listeners an apology. What did, did you get listener feedback on <laughs> frustration on the dead air? Uh, a little, not frustration. People did DM and like, where's the episode? I keep refreshing my feed. So I apologize in weeks, in, I don't know, years past when we've missed a week, I try to at least publish a little two minute explanation like hey we're out of town Chaz's out of town whatever it is this week i didn't even get a chance to do that uh i was in mexico and uh had all of the intention to actually record and even Chaz was waiting he was like thursday rolled around i'm like can we push to friday friday rolled around i'm like i think we got to call it off and really the problem is now i've i've gotten so professional that the show prep requires more time than the show itself. And so if I just needed to carve out an hour for, to record with you, no problem. No problem. But it's like, can I record or do I, can I carve out two hours prior to that to actually listen through the listener line calls and like prep all my notes that I've kind of typed in on my phone from the last week? And the answer was no, couldn't get no. through three hours. Nope. A vacation. Vacation took precedent. You know, to be honest though, 
uh, I would, I would have, should have been able to do it on Friday, but I was so glad when you said no, because I got screwed on my flight. And so it was, I think in transit when we were supposed oh, were to be you? anyway. Yeah. So you were going to Canada. I was going to Revelstoke, Canada. Where's that? Revelstoke. It's uh interior BC. Interior okay. British Columbia. It's like, uh, I think if you know your Canada, about a five hour drive west of Calgary or a six-ish hour drive northeast from Vancouver. Smack dab in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, really in the middle. Like it's not easy to get to Revelstoke, which is what makes Revelstoke so epic. Revelstoke is absolutely epic. It's a great name. It's the best name. I've always thought it was a phenomenal name and thought it was on purpose. Like I didn't know the town was actually named Revelstoke and it's probably clearly a native American or indigenous word, whatever, but yeah, Revelstoke. Do you think it is? I think it, I feel like that's a modern name that they just uh, picked of their own volition. I'm going to look into it now, but I'm, yeah. I'm almost guaranteed that it is indigenous because all the towns leading up to there are. Oh, okay. Or most of them. That'd be a coincidence then. Yeah. Um, what were you doing there? Uh, it was natural selection. The Travis Rice snowboarding event. Did you catch any of it? No, but I heard that it put the WSL to shame, made a mockery of. It made a mockery of the World Surf League. Here you go. Here you go, David Lee. How much snowboarding have you watched in your life? Very little. Okay, so this one, this event, uh, it's exactly what you preach the World Surf League should do. They figured it out, right? And, of course, with the elements and whatnot, there's, you know, surfing with snowboarding all the same. Like, they're element dependent. And so... You got to kind of get lucky too. You can have a great format. You can have a, you know, great concept. But if the elements don't deliver, you're going to be, you know, a bit stuck and or all the way stuck no matter what. Right. Right. But let me explain to you natural selection, David Lee Scales. Okay. So it's in Revelstoke, right? Uh, it's moved around. This was, a, this was live. Uh, it was 12 men, four women. That sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, starts in the quarters. They did a uh the what they called duels to lead up so that was like your first whatever elimination so this is all runs in one day four hours ish uh and starts in the quarters right it's every everybody gets two runs they're in brackets and so knockout two run semi knockout two run final knockout uh women go same course as men so they did the men quarters women's semis i guess men's semis women's finals men's finals uh all done and the thing about this was again back to what you say it is put men and women versus nature and it was insane it was terrifying to be honest like everyone was terrified it was because the the course is so scary so gnarly Hmm. that it was like yeah i mean not so night before right uh i'm the press of course so at the press function, they allow, uh, they have all the press and all the athletes at a bar night before, right? And when was the last time surfing? When was the last time you got an invitation from the World Surf League to come to a, hey, come mingle with all the surfers over drinks? Never. Like the World Surf League would never do that for a trillion reasons. One of, one of which is I think they despise the press. Two of which is they would never trust their surfers, I don't think, to be with booze on the press and stay 
speak the company line. Yeah. But this natural selection, like it's man, you know, you could say whatever you want. But, and okay, so night before though, uh, the presses were drinking, but no snowboarder was. They were ter- abjectly terrified. Like these are the best snowboarders in the entire world. And they had all been so with natural selection, you're not allowed to ride the course, right? Like oh, nobody ever was going to ask. Nobody had ever ridden this course. Travis had never ridden it. Nobody had ever, I think maybe in history, had ever ridden this line or or the area they had uh, cordoned or, yeah, like blocked off for it. Um, and so they get drone, like they fly drones through there, right? So the athlete, the snowboarders all get their drone footage and they get maps and they can review that kind of stuff. But the playing field was massive where it starts off like this kind of powder fun run into a cliff, like into trees and a cliff. And you got to figure out where to attack this cliff into, I mean, it was just insane. It was absolutely insane. And yeah, so the, the, uh, snowboarders themselves were like, had been studying the drones and stuff. We're, we're at this event, you know, and talking and great, but you could just see, and all of them were just like, yeah, I'm basically scared. This is, yeah. One of them, Jared Elston, dad's a pro surfer or was a pro surfer awesome kid from bend uh he was he told me travis is the only one here who has ever ridden anything or maybe it was one of them mickleback maybe told me this travis is the is the only one here who's any who's ever ridden anything even remotely like this and so we are getting thrown best snowboarders in the world just thrown into the deep end and yeah so morning of the event it was perfect conditions right like sunny and the snow was epic deep powder and all that and the announcers even out of the gate just let the whole thing breathe where travis dropped in first and threw down a you know pretty epic line and then next guy drops in gets lost gets hung up on the side of a cliff ben ferguson and the announcers are sitting there thinking just like mary walsh one of them was epic and they just let it breathe right he comes up to the cliff and she just gasps and they all sit there and it's quiet because this is not just funny this guy could honestly plunge to his death. He has to figure out, fully lost, took it, took his line wrong, has to figure out a way off this cliff. And it was the entire day was that of just, but the, as they got more comfortable, it was just epic performances. And like some, I mean, yeah, everybody should go watch at least watch the first 20 minutes and you'll be hooked. So did he have to climb back up and pick a different line? No, they just figure it like they're the best snowboarders in the world, right? And but so that guy who was stuck on the cliff. Yeah, he just jumped off the cliff. Like he just, I mean, he figured out a way down, right? They all did. It was, yeah, little Jared Elston was cruising his line, got like way off and was honestly like the way that, like, so it sucked in, the cameras are sucked in on him, right? And he's like, looks like it's this pillow line that he's taking down. Camera pulls back. You realize that backside, he's on a sheer cliff and he's just like dancing down this thing, right? Like everyone through, I mean, running into you know shoots that you don't see them anymore and you think oh this guy's just straight up dead like he is this guy's dead and they come out and the announcers uh you know like are treating it with the gravitas that that it actually was this wasn't funny it was like serious every time it would be so the only equivalent that i could think of for the surf world would be if there was some mutant slab in Western Australia or the North Atlantic or something that nobody's ever surfed before. And we find it, we send the surfers there for the epic swell. Nobody knows lineup markers. Nobody surfed it before. You just put them out there. 
Yeah. And it's, and you record them for four hours and, yeah. you know, and, and they will, they're the, you throw the best surfers in the world somewhere like that. Of course, the first couple runs will be, you know, they'll be finding their way. Yeah. You'll also have the guy like Idolo, you know, first surf ever at the box where he just sends it. You'll have that mixed in there, but it's, it's fun to watch. And this is what natural selection just doesn't get in the way like the World Surf League does, right? They don't need to make it any more complicated than what you're always preaching, man and woman versus nature. Like That's throw it. them in somewhere epic and watch what they do because yeah. <laughs> they figure out a way, right? Do they, the entertainment is them battling this thing is them battling this course and then watching the best, them, in, the, the best in the world not the, the best top 42 in the world no the best in the world the best backcountry snowboards in the world thrown somewhere that's above their level that they've never done uh but nothing is really above their level right i mean which is this is what this proved but heading into it not everyone was scared cersei was woke up the morning of and was like shaking her head like why did travis have to pick this course like this is what he always does he always throws he could have picked anywhere and you know like the course of course wasn't in inbounds at revelstoke they were helicopter you know it was right outside of of the resort but they were heli helling up there and stuff and there was a couple that he could have picked he picked the hardest craziest area that he could and threw them all in there and who won uh travis won Travis won. Uh, I mean, Travis is truly at, even at 40, whatever he is now, best in the world still. There was nice, I mean, that's the thing too. The judges, uh, there was controversy in the mid, there's the local boy, Dustin Craven. How good is that name? Dustin Craven. Yeah, kid from Revelstoke or guy from Revelstoke. Uh, he should have beat Travis, I think, in the semis. Um, You're good. You can still, it's all good. Okay. Yeah. He, he, uh, should have beat Travis in the semis and Travis, I think knew it. Travis got done with that run and like threw his GoPro and was, you could just tell how pissed he was at his, at himself. Uh, but the judges gave it to dust or yeah. Judges gave it to Travis. And then I think Travis out of uh, sheer, not embarrassment, but just like knowing went down and threw like probably the best snowboarding runs that ever happened in history in the finals where just yeah. like, absolutely blew up uh just to so it's one of those things where okay yeah maybe travis lost that thing but travis is undeniably the best snowboarder of the day so there's a disadvantage though to going first in that format completely i mean yeah. and travis travis picked to go first right like yeah. so he was travis basically was like i know that everybody here is going to be scared yeah. about this i'm going to go show everyone that this is possible Amazing. Well, yeah. for full disclosure for listeners who maybe haven't listened to episodes in the catalog from over the years, your wife is agent for Travis yeah. Rice and then also producer on National Selection, Natural Selection. Yeah, longtime agent. Uh, co created Natural Selection with Travis, I think, or way back in the day, or whoever else was involved. This is like this iteration of Natural Selection now is, yeah, many years on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I wish so bad, like there was something in surfing like it. Everyone was hyped, right? Like the athletes, when the day was done, it's just like everyone is elated. The viewers are like, you know, minds blown. It was just this perfect day. And it, it really did make a mockery of everything surfing is about. And I love that while this was happening, uh, while this, you know, crystallized a moment, of the very, very, very best of what we love was happening. Uh, 
World Surf League CEO uh, Eric Logan and Jesse Miley Dyer were praising themselves like they do on Instagram for going to South by Southwest to talk about surfing's swell business of whatever, the business of surfing, which was, I mean, it was the juxtaposition between natural selection happening, everything we love, and those two clowns going to Austin. The middle, the middle of America. The middle yeah. of America to pat themselves on the back for something that's bullshit. Like, the, the, are you, what business of surfing? You guys are still in the red. You have not made money yet. There is, yeah. it is a, great. If, once you guys make $1 billion, $1 million, $50,000, go yeah, pat yourself a profit, on the, period. Go pat yourself on the back at South by Southwest. I still don't fucking care because surfing is not about making money anyway. And pro surfing, like the event shouldn't be about the business of surfing, making money. You guys, like it really put it, I've been on the fence. I've been playing around with Eric Logan and Jesse Miley Dyer for years now. But I realized this past weekend up in Canada that they are idiots and they are actively wrecking pro surfing. And uh, it ain't funny anymore. No. So all bets are off. Gloves are off. Gloves are off. Yeah. Like I'm tired of, I'm tired of them being such assholes, being such dumb shits, right. To perpetually like, it's all about, you know, it's all about everything, but the surfing they could have done. It's about international women's day and which name you're putting on your Jersey. It's about going to South by Southwest to talk about how awesome they are. It's about making TV shows and this, that, and the other thing. It's everything but putting the best surfers in the best waves. That's which is again, and you say this all the time, and I don't even want to repeat it because it gets tiresome. And I know it's tiresome to our listeners, but are you kidding me? We are left with junk. We have junk. We have an absolute clown show of a sport. It's embarrassing. They're embarrassing. They should be embarrassed. I mean, Eric Logan and Jesse Miley Dyer should both wake up every morning embarrassed by themselves and what they're doing and what they've done. And I just wish there was some kind of somebody, somebody with deep pockets who would say, who said enough, I like surfing. I'm going to take the 12 best surfers in the world. You know, six girls, what, who like, doesn't even matter. I'm going to take a normal amount and we're going to do a couple strike missions a year. And this is just going to be new surfing. We're going to build it up here. Yeah. Well, the reason why Jesse Miley Dyer and Eric Logan don't have remorse or anything that we're talking about is I don't think they care about surfing. I think they're in it for themselves. They're in it and they're recognizing like the guy who's paying the checks, Dirk Siff is more, this is more of a virtue signal. We want to look good. We want to be performative. So we look good at the cocktail parties. We own surfing and we're making important kind of changes in the space, let's say, by being all inclusive, not actually implementing any of those things in a real meaningful way. So I think Eric Logan and Jesse both, that's the band, that's what the cart that they're writing and that's what they are. And they're doing it out of their own self-interest in that they're going to use this kind of uh, experience, job experience on the resume to then go get a better job down the road. So they don't care what happens to surfing otherwise. Uh, otherwise, there's no reason they would make the decisions they're making. You know what no. I mean? No, I mean, it's, it's yeah, the, the going to talk at, in the middle of America about the money you're making as a, the good business decisions that you've yeah. made is so backwards as to be, 
I mean, it's insulting. They well, are, you wouldn't you wouldn't advertise it if I mean no. you might do something like that, and if they're going to pay you to be a keynote speaker, great, you do it. You wouldn't advertise it. You know what I mean? But, but yeah, them both really patting themselves yeah. on the back, themselves, and then dragging poor Jadson Andre into it. What did he do to deserve? This? I was saving that as the punchline, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. The one surfer they could convince to go to Texas in between stops was Jadson. I mean, and Jadson is such a good guy, right? Like, which is, this is testament to his good guyness. I think Jadson from all, from all appearances is just a good guy trying his hardest all the time, wants to be a pro surfer. And so these two clowns, Jesse Miley and Elo clowns. I mean, they're proper clowns. It is like, the clown car of all clown cars, those two. Uh, Except there's only two of them in the car. The, the definition of the clown car is that they're just never ends. The beauty of that clown car, though, is that's all you need. It is, they are so clowny that you can have all the other clowns, just those two get out. And yeah. the audience at the circus just cackles for, cackles for days. <laughs> that is funnier than any clown car stuffed filled with clowns. Anyway, though, poor Jadson's in the backseat of that thing. <laughs> Also not getting paid. Also, <laughs> also in the red. Um, so, natural selection is it supported by Red Bull? No, I mean, oh, it's not. They, okay. Yeah, no, no. They uh, Red Bull is one of the sponsors. There's yeah, but no, uh, there's no, you know, one one thing that that pays for it. Got it. There's like it's Yeti, it's uh, Red Bull, it's you know this that and the other thing. Got it. It's got investors, it. Investors, blah blah. Well, because I was trying to figure out how this will actualize in the surf world eventually, especially off the success, like somebody will replicate it, but there would need to be, you know, somebody with a financial incentive. And I would think Red Bull would be that company based on the success of the uh, individual events that they've done at different slabs around the world. I mean, yeah, like I think Cape Fear and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. The, the thing is with the slabby kind of surfing, I mean, this is the, I would, like the one-to-one to surfing is a bit difficult in yeah. terms of that, because I don't necessarily like, I like watching Cape Fear and stuff, but natural selection is still snowboarding, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. when I see people surf slabs to me, that's not a, any kind of surfing I want to do, yeah. or I'm interested in watching it as a freak sideshow thing, but natural selection is still surfing, right? So I would like to see the natural selection surf thing be at, at Butte. Like I would love a slab in there, but also I would love you know, 12 foot cloud, cloud break. break. Yeah. And cloud break could be the perfect location for this. Yeah. Like somewhere that's both like, you know, gnarly and a technical wave, but also is when you watch somebody surf there, it's not that I could ever surf 12 foot cloud break, but somehow it's still relatable. Just like I can never surf or, or snowboard that line they were doing at Revelstoke. I mean, that's the crazy thing. If you would have thrown like, cause those guys all get down the mountain. If you would have thrown a really good snowboard, not, you know, even if you would have thrown Sean White on that course, he would have honestly died. They would have had to uh, ski in. There was no even way to get guys off the mountain, right? They had ski patrol. Like, so, but they would have had to ski in and pack Sean White up and, and pack him out. Crazy. Yeah. But that is insane. But also, but I can still watch it and you could still think, oh, I know what that is, right? Yeah. But, well, but uh, from everybody, everybody I know who surfed actual, like, pumping cloud break they all attest to the fact that it's way more complex it is absolutely as gnarly and square as you know a lot as almost any wave on the planet but also uh 
just so technically difficult to surf. It looks like a perfect wave, but it's like the pacing of it. You just really need to be on your A game or, or need to be a top level athlete surfing. And that that was the beauty too about natural selection. They had a, in the commentary booth, they had uh, intelligent uh, snowboarders who not only could historically, you know, had, had it all, uh, would disagree with the judges, but would also explain why what we were seeing was uh, interesting or unique or all the stuff without going over the top, right? Without saying, this is deadly and this, you know, right. blood that. Like, and there was no kind of Joe Turpel drone. Like, it, imagine if you had, yeah, a great surf commentator explaining how Cloudbreak works, the different sections, yeah. why, you know, why this is the way it is, et cetera, et cetera. Then not only are, are you learning something, you're yeah. entertained by something <laughs> and you can appreciate that thing far more. It would be John Roseman. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, John Roseman in the booth. Yeah. Really breaking it down. And when action is that phenomenal, you don't need somebody there like trying to pump it up. Right. No. Which is the perpetual world surf league trap of like, yeah, you don't need word salad. You don't need, you don't need hyperbole. Yeah. Cause it's as extreme as it gets. You almost need to like tone it you down. Just, yeah. You need a, a grounding source when, when nature is that crazy, you need the grounding source just to explain and parse it, you know, completely. Um, well, kind of moving on from natural selection and talking about Red Bull, uh, Julian Wilson, is off Red Bull after a long stint. Mateus Hurdy after a short stint, but you would think he would still be on. And they're being replaced by Griffin Colapinto and jo- uh, Jack Robinson. Jack and Griff. What do you think about that? Um, it makes perfect sense. Like, I mean, Mateus, it's surprising they would ditch Mateus because he seems to be on the ascent, but it makes perfect sense that they would ditch Julian. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, Julian needs to be so grateful that he got that again, quarter of a million bucks for a 15 years yeah. i mean like and at, at, yeah totally and at this point what would they be paying him for you know like he's he's uh sitting at home with a family not sitting but like enjoying his time at home he's advertising mid-length surfboards for js at this point those are the clips that he's posting on instagram that's not red bull's brand anymore like they're young and vibrant and intense you know? Well, and I think I think Red Bull specifically is a, like or tries to have a winning brand, right? In terms yeah, of we want we is. want the athletes who, and not just in surf, skate, snow, etc., but you know across from like whichever soccer players or race car drivers or all of it, right? They want yeah. Red Bull wants to be on the podium. Totally, that's what it comes down to ultimately, and it's kind of shocking that they would pay Julian for fifteen years or more, considering that you know what I mean, like put your money on somebody for two and three years. And then yep. once, once they're kind of off that uh, like total top of their game, give it to the next person. That would make more sense. I think with, with a Red Bull, uh, it feels like in order to get that next person though, you have to have some kind of tail on your thing, right? Like I suppose. Yeah. What, you know, we're going to be your family and we are here and for you, you know, for your highs, but then we'll also help you ride out. Yeah. Which I would prefer if brands were there for a life, you know, for the life of an athlete and supported them throughout injury and all that sort of stuff. But that just doesn't seem Red Bull seems to be a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Well, not Julian as, as Volcom might be for for Dusty Payne or something like that. Yeah, Julian doesn't feel like a Red Bull athlete anymore. Full no. stop. So 
So full stop. Yeah. Um, one listener line call to catch up from two weeks ago, our last show. Hey, this is for the grit. This is Mike from Oregon, uh, calling about wearing a company's gear, you know, Florida's Marine X or whatever, when you don't do it, when you do, uh, the rule is pretty easy. If, if that company is large enough to support themselves without little t-shirt sales, you don't wear that stuff. Otherwise you're just like an accidental billboard for a big boy company. Uh, kind of like when you see a band in some small dive bar, you wear that t-shirt all day long. And the second they play a larger venue, the only thing you do is listen to the album or, you know, wear the fancy shirts or the super expensive rain jacket or whatever. They're not your buddies and they don't need your help. So that's when you cross from customer supporter to full on fanboy. Uh, I'm open to different opinions. So. Let me know, but this is a good rule. I'm right. This is a good rule. I'm right. Yeah. Um, I think that totally jives. I completely agree. I just think that the uh, sort of trouble or or the one, uh, what, like the, the gray area is for, again, like your XLs, right? Where they're not playing the dive bar anymore. Uh, they're not playing the stadium. They're playing, you know, your ones like, you know, XL, Rourke, uh, who else? Throw me some other like mid-levels. Well, they do. I mean, Visla. Dark Star. Yeah. Like, or Dark, dark Star. Dark Knees. No, yeah, Dark Star. Uh, yeah. Like there are these ones. I think that, again, they're not divey. They're not arena. Yeah. So that's where, that's what the, where the discussion, I think, where and I I would argue that all of those, if you're not in the arena, then it's okay to wear the gear. Yeah, well, that's still his rule still applies. His yep. rule is if they need your sales, if purchasing the t-shirt from them is what's keeping them in business, purchase the t-shirt. Then, then you purchase the t-shirt. Exactly. I think all of those exist on that model still. Yep. Smart, yeah. smart color. It's Thank super you. simple, super yeah. simple rule to run. Whereas if if we're not purchasing Hurley's t-shirts, they still exist. Oh, Hurley's fine. Vans is fine. Yeah. Uh, but okay, what about the Billabong Quicksilver now owned by Shaquille O'Neal and David Beckham? <laughs> I know. Reading, I had to read that headline three times before I really understood what was happening. Because <laughs> it was the way it was worded stated that David Beckham and Shaquille O'Neal buying quicksilver are buying it yeah yeah uh, but um yeah so no those brands certainly do not need us to buy their t-shirts at this point no nope. nope. but the point is a million other um millions and millions and millions of other people are going to buy those t-shirts who have nothing to do with surfing and those brands will continue to exist so yes they survive on t-shirt sales but they don't need you and i to buy the t-shirts is the point whereas xl the brands that you named are only known to surfers they yes. need surfers to buy them. Yes. Yeah. That's probably well done. All right. I appreciate the simplicity of that. Thank you, caller. Uh, one blood feud that you did not take the bait on, maybe just because you were busy uh, hobnobbing with snowboarders, but blood feud between two iconic filmmakers, Mark Oblowitz versus Taylor Steele. I missed this. Where was this? Did I it DM'd it to you. I DM'd it. Uh, Mark. Still, is it still fresh? It's still on. I checked this morning to see if he deleted it. And it's a it's a main post. It wasn't a disappearing story. Right. So Mark Oblowitz posted an image, a repost 
from Taylor Steele's stories. Do you, mean, were, Mike, do you mean Michael Oblovitz? Michael. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. As soon as I said it, like something in my brain clicked, but I didn't stop on it. So yeah. thank you for catching it. Uh, Michael Oblovitz posted an uh, image that was pilfered off of Taylor Steele's Instagram that was uh, the DVD of Sea of Darkness that says not for resale. It was specifically for a film festival, I think it said on it. And he said, the caption read, for 14 years, I've been wondering who illegally stole a copy of my film that I have been blocked from releasing and from which I have never earned a cent. And today I saw this post. Again, it was Taylor Steele's post. So Taylor Steele posted the DVD and said, uh, look what I just found. I was going through some old boxes or something. Look what I just found. And oh. Michael is like, that's who has it. Epic. That's yeah. a good blood feud. It's a blood feud. Shots fired. And Mike, Michael, not only calling Taylor out publicly, but tagging him in the post too. So ensuring that Taylor sees it. So I figured, I figured I saw it. I sent it to you immediately. I screenshotted it. And then I was like, I'm guaranteed Taylor DMs Michael and is like, it goes down. Hey, by the way, I didn't steal this. I was involved with this film festival. I've never shared it with anybody. Like I didn't do anything wrong, you know? And then Michael would probably delete the post or something like that. It's still up. Did you screenshot it? Yeah, I've got it. It's okay, still good. on Michael's post too. Good. But yeah, I also screenshotted it. Okay. Um, the funny thing is, everybody in the comments section is like, "Man, I love that film. I've got it on my hard drive." Yeah. <laughs> or, or I, you know, I went on a surf trip. My buddy had it on a USB, and we all watched it, and then he transferred it to my hard drive. Love the film. Great film. I mean, it's on YouTube, I think, or it was. It has oh, been what? on. Yeah, the whole thing has been on and off YouTube for years. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, not uh, like obviously Michael didn't put it up, but uh, and isn't profiting off that. But yeah, the story of the Sea of Darkness is a. I mean, I mentioned it. Man, like, look at this. I watched Sea of Darkness on Michael Oblovitz's bed. Me and Taylor Paul now at Stab Magazine on Michael Oblovitz's bed on the North Shore uh, when I was writing Welcome to Paradise. Really? So that, yeah. So that is like a solid decade ago. But yeah. Yeah. He said 14 years ago it was stolen. So yeah. Probably, I mean, yeah, probably, probably right around then. Years, yeah. 14, 15 years ago when I, when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. Interesting. Um, do you want to give a little, I know we've talked about it. It comes up every couple of years here on the podcast, but do you want to give a little backstory on what that film is? Yeah. So Sea of Darkness is basically the story of kind of ostensibly the founding of the surf industry a bit, but it tells the story or both the surf industry and G-Land. Uh, so it tells of, you know, Mike Boyum and uh, the characters who went, you know, who were living in uh, Indonesia at the time, discovered G-Land, opened the camp, and then sort of it splits, you know, Martin Daly and these guys go kind of good, I guess, as the story goes. And then others went uh, chitty and these guys went to uh, drug smuggling, basically. And so it tells this story and ends with the death of, was it Boyum who died? I forget it. Uh, yeah, like, like basically unsolved deaths. And I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating story, completely well told by, uh, by Oblovitz. like, and yeah, it's taken on because of the difficulty in not getting released. Right. I think there was who owns the story rights. There's all these issues with a bunch of stuff. I think Martin Daly actually owns the rights to it. And then, yeah, but I think there's enough, um, what, uh, I don't know if there's bad, I'm sure there's bad blood 
between various parties, the thing is just stuck in limbo. Yeah, well, a lot of, I think the bad blood is related to pulling back the curtain on the criminal activity, right? Like drug running and some of that money ostensibly been used, being used to found some of these big brands that are now publicly traded. And so that is the question mark. And it seemed like people didn't want that story being shared. And maybe that story is not entirely true, but even being implicated would certainly jeopardize these publicly traded companies, right? I mean, I guess it still is, but I don't think that's where the beef came from. I mean, mm. it could have been a bit. I think it was mostly an issue between Martin Daly and Michael Oblowitz in terms okay. of, I don't even know if it was in, in terms of how the story was told. I can't remember. I mean, I've talked to, I love Oblowitz a lot and I've spent, you know, uh, plenty of time with Martin Daly, very much love them both and have had the story from both of them. And it's, it's complex, right? It's just like, it's one of these projects that is now wound up in and then the years that pass i i think the knot just gets tighter yeah and so somebody purchased presumably you're saying mark daly purchased the rights to the film like it started doing the um uh film what's it called screening not uh circuit yeah the circuit yeah yeah, but I think, festival. I think the festival I think circuit started Daly, on the festival circuit, and then somebody bought the rights to it and shelved it intentionally. Like, no, I'll I pay think, the money for this thing not to be seen. I think Martin Daly, the he had the rights all the time, oh, and okay. then so it was his thing, and he had partnered with all of us to make it. Okay. But then something happened there. Got so it. it's it's always been Daly's. I think it was never. Uh, I don't think all of us ever owned the rights to it. It wasn't his. He was telling, he was the director telling the story, but again, who knows contract stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what the ins and outs actually were. All I know though, is that it's a great movie. Uh, but the, the fact that it's still not released and still whispers about it and, you know, people have seen it feel lucky and all that. It's a great part of our history kind of in terms of this, this phantom film. I need to rewatch it. Just you yeah. talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it's about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I kind of forgot a lot of the details. So I'll, I'll need to rewatch it. Um, uh, Oblowitz is working on that Sonny Garcia documentary and uh, I've seen a trailer for it. And yeah. last I spoke to him, basically there's no ending to the story yet. You know, it's yeah. kind of like we're, we're done with 99% of I mean, we've shot it all, we've edited it, we just need kind of an ending to the story. And Sonny kind of uh, being in the state that he's in isn't quite the ending. And so I think it's going to be a while until we see that as well. Man, yeah, I mean, the interviews that he has in that thing, he because he was, he's been working on that for decades, it feels like. where With, with Sonny, like getting confessional interviews with Sonny throughout it. With Sonny, but he also has like, interviews with Andy Irons oh, yeah. and with I mean there's so many Derek Ho, Derek Ho uh Marvin whatever like Foster. yeah there's so many uh now dead like sort of icons mm -hmm. or that he has you know hours of interviews with for this film like when this thing comes out it's going to be yeah it's going to be something well um Another storyline that we had been kind of tracking over the course of the first two events of the CT season was Zeke Lau's two interferences. Looks like he's probably not going to requalify uh, mid via the mid season cut, 
but uh, Stab Magazine did an interview with him basically saying, or I guess the story was Stab canceled his premium membership and our system automatically asks why you're canceling. And he said, you guys effing suck. And so, <laughs> and so they're like, shoot, maybe we should reach out to him. And they even said like, look, we've been kind of unfair. We've only really covered your negative press. We haven't really covered any positive press about you. So let's give you the mic. Let's ask you some questions. You explain your side of everything. Um, so that is on stab premium. If people want to go and find it, I found it to be interesting because he directly addresses the controversies, including the paddling around John, John, and then including the new controversies lately. But as it relates to you and I, one DJ seaweed, our resident DJ took some time to compile every Zeke Lau infraction over the last probably 10 years and put him into a remix. It is eight minutes long. You and I do not need to listen to all of it now. I'm just going to play you a sample, but I will put the entire eight minutes at the end of today's episode for anybody who does want to sit around and recap Zeke's uh, illustrious career. That was because John was angry. Um, the, you know, Zeke's been hassling John John getting in his face, but let's have a look at this one. Ezekiel Lau is winning that. He's winning that psych out. That's strategy. That's tactics. Well within the rules of surfing. And it all stems from the beginning of the heat. John John not getting his own way. And Ezekiel pushing the issue. That's how you got to ruffle the feathers of the world champion. Previous strategy was just to get a good start and put the pressure on him early and get that first exchange. You know, um, uh, just make sure I got the inside and just, you know, let me set the pace. Yeah, let him feel the pressure a little bit. Um, you know, he's a champ. You can't give him any room. I mean, see what he can do under a little bit of pressure. I, I didn't tell him to do that. He, oh, I was coaching him at the time and I just said, put pressure on him. <laughs> Tell the, the paddle circles around him. Jesus. Like, you know, I think Kelly even made him just go, oh, so we know how to raffle John's feathers. It was a paddle by Ezekiel Lau. The priority has shifted. Real White yeah. does have first priority right now, so there's a glimmer of hope. Wait a minute. Oh, no. That is a... This is a situation. With Ezekiel Lau with third priority, he did not see the change of the priority, and we may just see a horrible interference at the end of the heat that is uh, going to take out the heat leader if it is deemed an interference. This is, this is shock right here. a shocking moment, Laura. Well, this is going to be heartbreaking right here for Zeke. He was definitely in third priority there. Might not have known it. It's just sinking Anyways, right you get the point. That's uh, pretty great. DJ Seaweed does the work. He really does. I mean, going back and finding the Zeke footage and then finding Jake Patterson's footage talking about Zeke, like all, and then he gets some podcast, uh, podcasters talking about like the guys on Lyft talking about the interference and what their take is. He incorporates that. So this is a full soup to nuts, all of Zeke's infractions, all in one uh, eight minute remix, if you wanted at the end of today's show. Thank you, DJ Seaweed, for your service. Seriously. Uh, the one interesting thing I'll tell you, or maybe it's not that interesting about Zeke in that interview was just how um, uh, of two minds he is about every interaction. It's like, this is a sport. I'm going to bring my A game and just treat it like a sport. But I want to be known as a good guy. You know, when I really think about how I want to live my life, I really want to just kind of be a good person. And for people to appreciate me, I'm an ambassador of Aloha for Hawaii, you know, so I want to be nice. And it's like, you get the impression reading it where you're just like, dude, pick a lane, pick a lane like this. And not, not for my benefit. I'm not because I want to be a fan or anything like, not because I hate you. None of that 
for your own sake. Like, how yeah. are you ever going to execute a goal if you're one foot in, one foot out? You know, the uh, it's funny to me that he he canceled his premium because <laughs> that effing sucks, and then goes behind the paywall to give them an exclusive interview. Like again, <laughs> which is which is would be the two mind thing right i suppose like if you really think they suck then go somewhere else and speak around i mean i I would have happily talked to zeke and then you could really stick the needle in the eye by being on beach grit right like that's so funny well they suck so you guys suck so i'm gonna give you an exclusive behind the paywall that's so so funny so he also posted yesterday on instagram zeke did that he's got a new sponsor so quicksilver's out and it's some um, local Hawaiian clothing brand, you know? What's it called? He, I don't know. I'll look it up right now. Um, More mine. No, something I had never heard of before. But uh, the funny thing is, it's like their slogan is ambassadors of Aloha. And everybody who DM'd it to me is like, I don't think of Zeke as being an ambassador of Aloha. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of the opposite of that. Um Let's see. It is called Awa, A-V-V-A, like Ava, Ava brand. Nice. Like Rufka. Exactly. Ambassador owned and operated 11.8 thousand followers, Hawaii uh, clothing brand. And uh, also while we're talking about sponsors, Leonardo Fioravante is a new sponsor too. Who does he got? Some weatherproof jacket company called K-Way what i know dude i mean that it's non-endemic i guess so that's a thing um i feel leo's going for uh hey for formula one board yeah. stuff right gabriel's given up the formula one board and so now leo fioramanti from italy is going to do his uh just have it so plastered with stickers yeah maybe it looks like maybe it's a french brand it's a what the instagram uh, ca- uh, description says K-Way waterproof jacket par excellence, classic nice. modern technology, function, and colored. John John Florence right in the mouth. That's what the article is. Um, Ooh, I got two, I just got two. I got a blood feud, and uh, Leonardo Fioravanti punches John John Florence in the teeth. You're welcome. Uh, we have a new segment today. I'm so excited. Tools to live by. Yes. Do we have a song? Uh, we will. DJ Seaweed, get on that. Tools yeah. <laughs> to live by. Please don't send us a tool song. Uh, Tools to live by is brought to you by the ultimate tool that you can own. Veyerwatches.com. Promo code SURF15. SURF15 for 15% off any purchase at Veyerwatches.com. But the reason why Veyer is the ultimate tool is up until 2007, iPhones did not exist. And even still, the vast majority of the planet will not, that you go to, doesn't have service or reception for an iPhone. The battery will run out. If you're in the middle of somewhere, you don't have electricity, the battery is going to run out in very short order. But you know what will never fail you? Your Veyer watch that's powered by the sun and or whatever else that powers a Veyer watch. Well, they do have automatic, uh, you know, mechanical watches that just run in perpetuity if you wind them. But the solar watch is what I'm wearing right now. So there's a little solar dial or a solar cell under the dial 
that automatically captures sun whenever it's out and about. And that perpet- that powers the watch. So you never need to charge it. Never need to flying wind home, it even. Flying home from Canada yesterday, uh, there was like a bunch of near misconnection, or one near misconnection. Uh, and I was looking at my bear watch, like sussing out how much time I had. I saw some dude sitting on the plane next to me who had an Apple watch that was dead. Like, no and way. I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, what, what do you do when you're wa- like, why even wear it? Why wear an Apple watch? It's like, I have my computer in my bag. That's yeah. and I have my phone in my pocket. Why do I need another thing that's going to potentially die on my wrist? Because you need to track your steps. Yeah. <laughs> dude, dude, literally last week, Lauren got a free Apple watch from her company. We gave it to my mom. Yeah. It's like, it. She's like, do you want it? I'm like, heck no. She's yeah. like, I don't want it. I don't want to be getting notified all day with every voicemail, every uh, email and text and all that sort of stuff. It's so honestly just, another thing to charge. It's another thing to charge when you go to bed. That's totally. honestly all it is. Totally. So Vayer watches, uh, Vayer, by the way, is spelled V-A-E-R. So VayerWatches.com. Again, use promo code SURF15 and you'll save 15% if you want to get the watch that we're talking about. And they have free USA shipping, easy returns, waterproof warranty. I wore mine in the ocean yesterday. Uh, Everything you need in a watch. But here's the deal. Here's the segment. Tools to live by. Okay? Almost like rules to live by. So listeners going to send in uh, inquiries, and we are going to offer them the tools to live by. This one came in from a listener, and he said, non-black wetsuits. This may be a little dated because even pros now are almost 100% in black wetsuits. But five to five, five to 10 years ago, you would see the best guy in the lineup in a white wetsuit. Think Chloe Andino or Slater from way back when. And But beyond just the white, there was bright red, green, blue. Even today, maybe Jamie O'Brien is wearing a bright blue camo suit, you know? And at the risk of tooting my own horn, I'll even share a personal anecdote of when I owned and wore a maroon wetsuit about 10 years back. Uh, one day it dawned on me that I was sur- when I was surfing that it was kind of kooky. It was kind of a kooky move to wear such a flamboyant wetsuit. I turned to my friend Jake and I said, hey, is it lame to wear a bright maroon wetsuit? And Jake said, uh, if you were even a little bit worse, it would be kooky, but I guess you could pull it off. Sounds to me like Jake was being nice, by the way. Yep. This came in from David, no last name, please, is what he stated. So give him some advice. Tools to live by. Tools to live by vis-a-vis the uh, colored wetsuit. I think if you want to draw attention to yourself, wear a colored wetsuit. If you're in the lineup thinking, hey, I'm pretty good. Look, look at me. Look at me. Have at your colored wetsuit. If you are under 15, by all means, express yourself. If you are not one of those two categories, stick with black. Would you wear any color on a wetsuit? So I did, I uh, Billabong, I got to design my own wetsuit a couple years ago. And I thought, I'm gonna design the ugliest thing ever just for fun. Uh, it was olive green, like army green body. One arm was fluorescent orange. The other arm was fluorescent yellow. Uh, and I actually kind of liked it. Did you? Yeah. I think, I think ultimately that's what you're talking about. Uh, do you want to stand out? Do you want people to look at you? That's ultimately what this comes down to is if you're that good of a surfer, people are already looking and then, you know, then it is performative to a certain degree because there's cameras and that sort of stuff. So that's what the white wetsuits about, or 
Jamie O'Brien's is about. White, the white wetsuit is, I mean, on the, like, if I can set up some parameters, white wetsuit is hideous. Nobody should ever, like, Kolohe and Kelly both look dumb as dumb in their white wetsuits, I always thought. Stephanie like, Gilmore. I mean. She's the they, only other person I could think of who's pulled it off. Sure, you could pull it off, I think, as a, as a very stylish woman. Then that is your, you can have that. But otherwise, yeah. don't wear wet and don't wear, or don't wear white, sorry, and don't wear fully garish like jamie o'brien i mean mine was garish like the one arm and one arm and everything yeah. but it actually kind of worked conceptually accidentally it wasn't like uh jamie o'brien's fluorescent camo don't do that either yeah. like stay within like his maroon wetsuit i'm sure was fine right it's a version it's like a normal color darker etc you're all good i ordered a couple of buell wetsuits like 10 years ago no more probably more than 10 years ago because I saw Punker Pat wearing one when uh, I think he was on Ruka at the time, maybe. And Ruka was getting wetsuits from Buell. And, but they always had really interesting panels of interesting colors. Yeah. So it was like under the underarm panel was like dark purple. Yeah. And when it was wet, it almost looked black. It just looks sure. slightly different, you know, and you're like, what is that? And so having to kind of be subtle, but different, I thought that was rad. So I called Buell and I got a couple of those, uh, like a, four, three, and a three, two in the same color. And I thought that was cool at the time, but I've only worn black ever since. I mean, like, again, tools to live by here. If you are, let's just assume you are, listener, you are over 23 uh, and you surf well enough. Wear black and or a, just like David Lee talked about. Some, if you want to, if you want flair, subtle flair. Leave fluorescence to the kids and or Jamie O'Brien. Leave white to Stephanie Gilmore. You know what? Another thought uh, with that Buell wetsuit um, was I thought was really cool when they showed up is some of the logos were printed on the inside, like a surprising, like monster logo, like on the inside, just as a, uh, like a novelty type thing, you know, or like those XL wetsuits that have the infrared on the inside. Yeah. So the outside actually looks kind of conservative and sleek. And then you peel it open and there's surprise artwork in there for only like, for you. I mean, maybe somebody in the parking lot might catch a glimpse of it just for a second, but, but it's really you. just for you. Brilliant. I know. I like that. That's yeah. the hip move. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, there's tools to live by uh, brought to you by the ultimate tool that you can own vayerwatches.com v-a-e-r watches.com surf 15 no space is the promo code for 15 percent off all right chaz um we've got some more listener line calls how are you doing on time i'm good you're good on time okay let me look oh let's go survival league actually portugal is uh potentially going to run this weekend looks like really good surf potentially too yeah, I mean, it's. I, I was looking at the forecast that I realized there's a third story that I haven't written that I need to write. That Surfline is really must be frustrated with the World Surf League because gone and or they maybe listen to advice of hey, don't overhype these things. Like when you overhype them and the swell doesn't materialize, that is bad on you. It's not bad on the World Surf League. It right. is bad on you, Surfline, to say this is epic when it's very clearly not epic. So yeah. this year, like they've they've been uh depressing like hype on all the swells like remember that great day of sunset was like yeah. 
not really called and nope. pipe wasn't like wasn't like epic pipe on the way and with this portugal event too it's like been a real maybe the winds are gonna be bad you know we don't know well it was app it was properly pumping last week so yeah. i think that everything's going to look uh pale in comparison to last week but it still could be head high and barreling over the course of the weekend so hopefully we get that i am officially out of survival league but i committed to my picks before the season even began uh, so if I were still in it, I would have Idolo on my roster for this event. Who do you got? I think, oh, did I put Idolo? I think I did put Idolo for this event as well. It's either Idolo or Gabe. I can't remember what I think. I, I think I settled on Idolo. So yeah, either one would be a good safe pick. I would think um, other than the facts that I fact that I just jinxed Idolo, but the question would just come down to who do you want to use throughout the rest of the season? And Gabe is more applicable throughout the rest of the season. So Idolo would be the right pick for you. It's true. But this is this is where I'm not even thinking about it this year. I've made mistakes in years past by, uh, you know, you always hear the NFL coaches or basketball coaches or whatever, like one game at a time, man. You know, like, yeah. hey, we're not looking down. I am not looking. I am picking the best surfer, full stop, uh, okay. without thinking – without even really considering conditions or whatever, like I picked uh, Jack for pipe. I picked John, John for sunset. It's either eat or game. I'm just going to start chewing them down and I will cross the bridge of, uh Oh, I picked everybody good. If I'm still in it, if I, if I have the luxury of having the problem of, you know, having to pick a wild card ish kind of pick at the end of the season, cause I'm still in it, then I'll feel good. At that point, pick Joao Chianca. Yeah, Joao Chianca, exactly. Because you have the Joao's, you have those ones. And I can also assess who's got a, you know, when you pick the best at the start, you know, I'm going to pick stinking, of course, Jordy for J-Bay if I'm, if I'm still in, right? Like where, like I have those ones, but uh, yeah, like there's surfers. The world champs up. while you can. Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to save those listener line calls for next week, uh, but I am going to give you one true grit or clickbait crap article that you yourself wrote. You tell me, what is it? Quote, revamped Surfer Magazine debuts exciting trending news writer who resides in small town nestled at foot of Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee. Quote, Emily enjoys strong coffee, spicy food and live music, exclamation point, end quote. I mean, this is straight up amazing. Have you seen it? I like I've read, I read it for I've read three of her articles today. It is brilliant. It is such, I mean, there was debate if she was real. Uh, Gen C found her email. So I'm going to be emailing her, Emily Morgan, for an interview. Uh, but she clearly, she has no, knows nothing about surfing, is not a surfer, you know, lives in Tennessee. Uh, and her hot takes on stuff or whatever, it's like, she, you know, she writes in the real BuzzFeedy kind of, we, we think this is great, but she has no idea what she's even beginning to write about. So today's two stories were that she wrote that a wave thing is opening up, tank is opening up in Arizona, I guess. And her like kind of weird off angle at that. And then also she's like basically finding TikToks and then writing stories about them. Wow. And so Hunter Jones, then she found one of him surfing, I suppose, somewhere in San Francisco. And so the story was, when you think of San Francisco, you don't think of surfing, you know, maybe it's skateboard or something like that. It was just like, <laughs> you're epic you are epic you're a but yeah she, she has she's no like clue bot worthy good crazy yeah but it makes sense because it's like 
that's who their audience is. Their audience well, doesn't surfer, know anything about surfing. They do watch TikTok, you know? Yeah, I mean, surfer, I don't, surfer is just pivoted straight. It's it's now just a, you know, it's like a BuzzFeed click. They've had enough, they have enough legacy uh, where they will get pushed up the algorithm, yeah. right? Surfer Magazine. And so those stories, no doubt, will get put on Apple News and that kind of thing. And so you'll just get random clicks based on, you know, no, nothing based on the content, nothing based on any of it. And so it's just, I mean, like, yeah, are you, does it make you sad, David Lee Scales, if there was this once iconic thing started, you know, the history that Surfer has from John Severson to, uh, to uh, Drew Campion to, you know, like these, to Matt George, to, to this legacy that it has now being a zombie, basically, uh, where it's generating clicks written from Tennessee. Does that make you sad or do you just think, yeah, that's the, that's the world we live in, man. The concept makes me sad, but I've had a slow, long breakup with Surfer Magazine to where it's expected at this point. This is, you know, the wife who cheated on you and then you get over it. And then eight or 10 years down the road, you find out she's making more bad decisions in her life. <laughs> You're not like, no, I'm shocked that she's dating that crystal meth user no like yeah, there's no shock anymore you know it's like yeah exactly that's what she was gonna do of course I mean, that's a that's a path she was on the crazy part about it is if it's true that surfer you know part of the package that it was bought for was 25 million dollars uh it's really really hard for me being in this business to understand how that price tag is at all justified like i, I see what i see what they're doing right they're it's going to, they're going to generate clicks. They're going to get partners with like full coup people who don't understand, but at some point surf the idea of surfing. And of course they didn't buy surfer for 25 mil. It was part of, it was surfer skateboarder. Da, da, da. So they're doing this with all of these titles. Right. And then I suppose you try to wrap Ford in and big, you know, sponsor or whatever advertisers and all that. And maybe it works. I just, I don't see how uh, these niche things, yeah, I just don't, I don't see it, but I'm, I'm no I businessman. I think about Emily though, and her job, like she is a professional and, and so let's the comparison, let's say I'm a professional podcaster. If somebody reached out to me and was like, Hey, you're doing good at podcasting. Um, we want you to talk about digital video recorders on a podcast. And so we'll hire you. We'll pay you. Do you mind doing some research and then talking about digital video recorders? I'd be like, I know nothing about that and yeah. have no interest in talking about it. Like, I mean, I guess if you're going to give me enough money, I'll do the research and figure it out. But like, I'm the wrong guy for the job. Why are you reaching out to me? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I assume that Emily Morgan wants to go on and work for BuzzFeed or whatever, right? Yeah, she wants, and so this this will be, in her, she will, she'll be, you know, whatever her title is. It's like breaking news writer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trending, uh, news. trending news writer at Surfer Magazine. So it's, this is a, this is a, excuse me, this is a line on her resume, which good for her. Uh, but I would hate to do that kind of writing full stop where it's, yeah, totally. you're, you're just like, you know, nothing about it. You ostensibly care nothing about it. No. Uh, it's your job. And so you do it. And yeah. then I guess, you know, well, yeah. Well, I, my prediction world surf league hires her in three months. Well, I mean, this is the funny thing is that uh, it is all Emily Morgan uh, I was thinking about this actually specifically today thinking she makes the inertia look good because as kooky as the inertia is, 
the inertia people still surf and or partake in what they're writing about. They, they, they're not getting somebody who has no idea, right? Yeah. And you could disagree with, like, I can be poked fun at their big tent and they have, you know, Vals and Sam George and whoever, right, for the inertia. But everyone there surfs, right? They're not getting or whatever, like oh, buying. Oh, yeah. Uh, surfs surfs but surfs, in quotes. Surfs. yeah they're not living in tennessee you know that's right. not just but exactly like you said this is exactly a, a wsl thing this is a business pivot for surfer which that's all wsl is doing too is business pivots and so yeah. i would not be surprised if she generated enough where hey emily morgan come we've got a spot for you you've got the tone down it's exactly surfer is exact and the wsl are on same team Totally. That's, that's kind of the point. And it's the real scary part is probably generating the most eyeballs and clicks and views in the surf space as well. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure. So yeah, it is sad, but yeah, if Emily does her job well, it's because she is tapping into that uh, TikTok culture and TikTok algorithm that you and I can't be bothered to pay attention yeah. to, but it really has uh, yeah. numbers attached to it. For sure. Know? For numbers sure. And eyeballs. I'm sure it's working. So anyways, okay, well, let's go to commercial break uh, so that people can learn about linkedin.com slash surf. And then we'll come back with a uh, quick Netflix review and then barrel or not. Let's do it. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. 
You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, Chaz, we are back from break. Do you think Emily Morgan got her job at Surfer Magazine through LinkedIn.com? Uh, yes, I do. In fact, I do. Because <laughs> where else would she go? I mean, it is so robust in terms of what they do and who they offer it to and the way they plug you in with different opportunities that why wouldn't you go through LinkedIn.com slash surf? The only place. Boom. Good job, Emily. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about Netflix. Uh, did you watch the Chris Rock stand-up special? I read enough about it to feel like I don't need to watch it. Should I watch it? Is there going to be anything more surprising and or funny than just the, the going after Will and Jada at the end? You don't need to watch it. Was um, it not very funny? I, I, I dude, it was f- not funny. I, so I didn't read anything. I'm not sure what the reviews, I want to hear what the reviews said that you read. It was not funny at all. I mean, I could, it's the, it's the feeling I was getting from reading the reviews was that it was not funny because nobody was harshing on it really, right? None of the reviewers, they just really got to the meaty bit at the end right away. Uh, of course, that's what was going to lead yeah. uh, talking about clicks, right? The slap still is what's what the story is going to be. And it just it seemed like Chris, uh, you know, spoke whatever he thought about it in a not particularly insightful nor interesting nor funny way, which no. I'm thinking you sat on this thing for a year. I know. And this is the best you could do was say, like, Jada cheated on him. And he looked like a bitch. And then he slapped me. It, it honestly, I, I think less of Chris at this point. I loved Chris Rock. His specials from like mid 2000s, you know, like, I don't know, 2005 or eight or whatever it was, were like so insanely good only to be outdone by Dave Chappelle a few yeah. years back. You know what I mean? But like Dave is in a class all his own. Chris Rock is in another class all his own down below Dave, but then there's kind of a chasm between anybody else. Like they were insane. And this fell so unbelievably short. I was so looking forward to it for those reasons that I loved him in the past, but also because of the slap, like, okay, this is going to be, he's going to like, and there's so much um, substance there to discuss. Like there are themes to discuss that that slap is related to, like about what our, how our society operates or like, even like black on black violence is an angle, you know, like, like, like maybe he he could have said, like, I don't want to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit him back because I don't want to perpetuate this stereotype. These are two minorities in tuxedos in this environment that we weren't allowed to be in i'm not going to hit him back that perpetual you know anything like that would be interesting that would be uh poignant like he said nothing interesting nothing poignant at all first of all didn't make a joke anywhere leading up to that then got to that and he was kind of angry about will and you could see his anger. he was seething he actually fumbled over a joke like he said the wrong movie name in the joke that he was trying to deliver the joke wasn't even funny anyways and so, so like, I, I was glad to hear him say what he said about Will Smith. Like he called the spade a spade. He's like, sure. basically F that guy, by the way, his wife was having sex with their child's friend. So yeah. that is who he should be mad at. That is where all of this started. So him kind of stating it 
matter-of-factly, I appreciate it because we hear lots of rumor, innuendo. I don't pay close enough attention to know what's fact, what's not. But for him to just kind of lay it all out there for somebody like me, I was like, sweet, call it us, you no. know, call yeah. it like it is. But there was no joke and there was nothing poignant. There was nothing beyond just that. And then well, drop throws the mic down at the end because he was living yeah. still. About well, the, and I mean, that's the thing. Like the, yeah, I mean, I'm... <sighs> I yeah, I mean yeah. If you're gonna sit on it that long, you better bring it. And if you do, if you don't have it, then just don't you know, don't say anything. Or you looking angry and what? And the punchline at the end that I read was that my mama taught me not to fight in front of white people or something. That's not even uh, a funny joke. No, it's like okay, like uh, definitely not a mic drop ender. No, like he said that, and I would I like I said like the narrative that I painted would have been a more kind of poignant thing to yeah. end on. And you can make a joke somewhere in there that is about fighting in front of white people that would have made it more compelling. You know, like there was, it was really disappointing because I, I mean, love Chris and I wanted to see him hit a home run, you know? I, I wonder if part of the problem is, is that Dave Chappelle crushes uh, sort of that moral comedy Maybe. so well, like can make it both hilarious, but also very, very insightful, I think. Or, uh, and that was never, like Chris looked good before Chappelle and Chris was funny in a different way, yeah. but that's what that comedy, that's what that situation needed was an insightful totally. probe into culture and morals and expectations and all this stuff that Dave does well and Chris doesn't do. And it was so ripe for the picking like there's yeah. so much in that slap that you could culturally comment on and morally comment on like he's never had better raw material to work with i mean i wonder if that's it though sometimes i feel that not that i'm anywhere near an artist on the level of anything but sometimes when a story is so good it's way harder than dredging for nothing and you yeah, know because maybe. like you just you over like you get overwrought, right? This yeah, is yeah. you think this is so good and I've got to make it so good. And then you just strangle yourself. Well, he's a professional at the top. Like he should have figured it out. I was shocked by how I, mediocre it was. I mean, the, even a freestyle, even if he would have sat up on stage and talked about it the entire time for an hour and a half, but just yeah. really riffed on it. Just yeah, like let his own mind process it. I mean, that's what he should have done straight away out. He should have let the whatever settle for a couple of days, but he should have done the comedy like months and months and months ago. The other thing that I had a problem with with it is it was objectively racist yeah like and i'm i'm not offended you know like it was objectively racist against white people is what i'm saying and i'm not personally offended by it but i was uh objectively aware that it was you know what i mean and i'm kind of taking a survey going what is it how do you not see the hypocrisy in kind of using this to comment about race but so clearly disparaging this giant group of people. And like when Dave Chappelle makes a white joke, he follows it up with a trans joke, follows it up with an Asian joke, follows it up with a black joke, follows it, yeah. you know, so he's like an equal opportunity offender. It's like Dave Chappelle's like South Park-ish. Where... Totally, totally. Yeah. This was like Chris Rock going hard in the paint, anti-white and not just making a joke about white people. It was very clearly feeling negatively about white people and part of one uh, kind of a large uh ongoing joke that he was having was about um the capital riots 
And the quote joke that he was trying to make was like, white people are afraid that we're stealing their country. We meaning black people. And he goes, we ain't stealing their country. Other white people are stealing their country. They should be afraid about the white man taking the white man's country, you know? And like, that's the thing. And I'm thinking, well, you're misunderstanding the entire, he's like, there was no black people at the Capitol riots. And I'm like, yeah, Chris, that's the point is it has nothing to do with race. Like you thinking that had to do with race is so racist. Like, no, not all white people share the same ideology. That wasn't a racial thing in any way, shape or form. The entire premise of this joke that white people are dumb because we're stealing it from white people is so racist. You know what I mean? Like, again, I'm not offended by it. I don't care, but it's objectively racist. And that's weird. But those, I mean, in those two, though, the, the fact that he was he was mining comedy from things that happened a year ago, where I've heard already way funnier things about Jan 6, right? And yeah. there's like Chris Rock's comedy on saying funny things about Jan 6, you know, a year plus later. I mean, yeah. sure, there's still funny things to be said about it. But I mean, come on, man. Like, that's it was, old material. It was bizarre. Yeah. It was bizarre. And like, we turned it off at the end. We're like, oh, we didn't laugh once. Yeah. Well, like, what the heck, man? Thanks for I, wish some, I wish somebody would have just told me where the Will Smith part was. So I could just scrub to that and watch yeah. that part. Um, all right. Well, let's do back to surfing. Let's do barrel or not. Nah. Let's do it. Hey, David and Chaz. I heard Chaz talk in the past about how non-surfing surf fans do not exist. I live in Montreal and have never lived near the ocean. I haven't surfed a single time in my life. Over the past few years, I've somehow become interested in surfing and enjoy reading Beach Grid listening to the podcast and watching some of the surf contests. The only thing that has stopped me from surfing itself is geography. So barrel or not being a non-surfing surf fan. Total barrel. Like I, I mean, I don't think they don't do, I mean, maybe I've said it before on the podcast, they do not exist. I probably have said that. I mean, my my trip across America, heartland to Tennessee, if I would have known that Emily Morgan was there, I would have gone a little further. Uh, But yeah, like, I think it's great. I mean, if you like it as a sport, I was in Canada, of course, where there's all kinds of Montreal, where there's all kinds of crazy sports. I was fascinated by curling. Of course, you know, it's like in Canada, curling is you see it here in America every four years during the winter Olympics. And it's sort of, I think always viewed ironically, right? Like uh, where in Canada, it's serious, right? It is like a serious thing that's on TV at the prime hours of, And, you know, I'm sitting in the airport watching curling. I don't curl, never curled. I think watching something that you don't participate in is full barrel always. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The vast majority of things that I watch sport related, I do not do, you know? So I think it's totally barrel and I'm heartened to hear it. For sure. And if you, again, I think you're somebody, a non-surfing surf fan, uh, they're perspective is even more unique because they're watching it purely as entertainment right yeah where so it should be entertaining who serves the best to you who do you think is the most entertaining i'm that's why i was looking for the non-serving surf fan is because their opinion or their viewpoint to me is more interesting than the surfing surf fan because i already kind of know tell me where you surf and how old you are and i could pretty much tell you what you think that's why emily morgan is doing what she's doing the lord's work Totally. All right. Uh, barrel or not nah, driving while watching CT events on your phone. So barrel, so barrel, big barrel. 
best part about surfing is you don't really have to watch that much, right? Like I'll do. So if, if I happen to be on a road trip uh, and if there happens to be a CT event on, I will jump up and down for joy in the parking lot because I'll set the phone somewhere, right? Where it balances, play it, drive, uh, the smooth sounds, of Joe Chappell, whoever's talking, like you'll get the feeling of the whole thing. Actually, though, I'll say this is a real problem with pro surfing is I will get bored and turn it off or turn on music or turn anything else on radio uh, after so long. But I yeah. do enjoy the time that I do it. So this is a full barrel for me to do, but not for our listeners to do, because I don't trust that they're not going to crash their cars. But I can do it. I can do it flawlessly. I'm going to say, though, here, here's the secret. There is nothing, not nothing. There has been maybe uh, two things that have ever happened in the history of professional surfing in a contest that would have been like, what? Crash your car. <laughs> Everything you can kind of glance over and see what's happened and say, oh, that's cool. Oh, Philippe did alley you. Sweet. Oh, yeah. you know, it's, he got barreled pretty good. Well, if you're in LA or anywhere near and you're in stop and go traffic, 28 minutes of that 30 minute heat are people just sitting in the water waiting for waves. And in those two minutes, they're actually 10 second increments where you need to be looking down at your phone. So if you're in stop and go traffic on the freeway, there's no you know, you, you could see the car in front of you. If your phone is propped up right here, you could see the car in front of you, even while you're looking at your phone for those 10 seconds to watch the ride from beginning to end. And I mean, the best part of it too is guaranteed. Uh, you can guarantee that the world surf league will miss, uh, a good half of the rides in real time by going to commercial. Yes. They're cutting to commercial. So you're only really watching replays anyway. Like it's not like you're, so it's not like you're going to miss this moment in real time. You're not, yeah. they missed it already for you. Uh, you're just waiting for the replay. <laughs> the funny thing is you're right about um, you losing interest after a while, because I will literally make the, I've made the assessment many, many times. I'm about to get in the car and I look at what heats are coming up next. I assess the conditions, all of it. And I would say seven times out of 10, I choose to listen to a podcast or music instead of watch the event. If it happens to be firing surf and a heat that I really want to see, then I'll choose. The so I, I do say that I jump up and down in the, par in the driveway before heading out. And I do until I turn it on and see Z Clow versus whoever. Yeah. And then I'll sit through that one and then, okay, who's coming up next? And I'll see it is whoever versus whoever. And I'll be like, uh and then i'll look down the heat draw and see one coming up like 12 heats later that's interesting and say that's enough for me exactly all right well we got to the bottom of that uh final one is a very important one maybe the most important one that we've done in years barrel or not calling your in-laws mom or dad this one is great who sent this did you come up with this one came up with it all on my own this one is maybe when you were leading off with best we've had in years, I was saying we've had a lot, David Lee Scales. Don't go there. I will add this may be the best one we've ever had. Everybody can relate to this. It's really a conundrum. And when you hear people do it, you're like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that. So we need to get to the bottom of it. 100% no barrel, David Lee Scales, which leaves you in a worse spot because what do you call? Right? So I am absolutely anytime i've ever heard anyone do it it sounds 
cloying. It sounds artificial. It sounds uh, like immature. It sounds juvenile. You're an adult person. This person was not your mother or your father. They are your mother-in-law or father. They didn't raise you. Uh, and so for me, it is an absolute no barrel. Uh, where I've settled, which is thankfully, it's almost worth having kids for, is you call your in-laws what your child calls them. So I call her my mother-in-law. I either call her Nana B or Nana Nancy. I call him Crawdaddy or Grandpa Alan. That's what I call them full-time. That's a good solution. So I'm of, I'm, you know, lucky and grateful enough to have loving and supporting parents that are distinct from every other human being on the planet. So they get reserved with those monikers, mom and dad. Um, I have a stepmom that I've known my entire life, also unconditionally loving. I don't even call her mom. You know what I mean? Because I have a mom. Yeah. Now, now I say this because there may be a caveat to all of these conversations, which is what if somebody doesn't have a loving parent or what if their mom died? It doesn't and, matter. And the in-law is, I mean, so yes, they are adults, but what if they are adults with childlike craving for replacing that role and the in-law actually delivers on the goods? The in-law is that great of a mother-in-law. Can't they comfortably call them mother? I love it. No, you cannot. And take care of your, like, take care of the mother and or father hole in your heart the same way that Kaloha Andino takes care of the trophy-sized hole in his. Mm. Figure out some other way to deal with it. You don't call them mother or father. It feels cringy every time I hear it. I mean, it's never once worked. It's every never once worked. History of the world has worked. So if you have kids... That's my recommendation. You go on yeah. what your kid calls them. Uh, if you don't, you're in a little bit of a pickle, but just go straight, you know, yeah. You call them by their first name. And the other thing is, it always sounds cringy when I hear the person say it. And I would argue a lot of the time, the receiver feels uncomfortable being called it as well. I mean, I, I can only speak as a stepfather. I'm a stepfather as well. If my wonderful, awesome stepdaughter called me dad, I would think, oh, like, yeah. not because I don't love her, but I am not your dad. Like, yeah. I'm, call me stepdad. Yeah. Hey, stepdad. Like, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, but I am not your dad. You have what about What about kissing your in-laws on the lips? That's Just okay. <laughs> You're going to get a bunch of flack from people who totally call their in-laws mother and father and they're just gonna be like you guys are so no. stupid and immature i, I defy somebody I, i'm like this is my hill to die on right here i agree like i've felt strongly about this forever and i've never discussed it with anybody yeah i'm glad that we came out on the same side because if you were a like no man it's like lauren's mom is mom i would think oh david lee scales you watching your watching your hallmark movies drinking hot cocoa and whatnot that's just ugh. I know it, it, it feels so it feels like that person is better. Like they're all, con they're all, they're unconditionally loving, right? They're just like, they've got enough love to share with everybody. But to me, my argument is like, 
No, it means love doesn't have as much value if they're just giving it away for free. Because like I said, there's two people on the planet that that title is reserved for. And that's meaningful. You know, don't dilute the meaning. It makes me feel inside. You you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, fine film. When Ferris Bueller's in bed, uh, when his parents are taking his temperature at the start, he's going, me, 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 to to his. (laughs) That's, That's how it feels to me when I hear somebody call their parents-in-law mom and dad well just like i had to wait till the end of chris rock special for him to get to the meat and potatoes we made listeners sit through two hours just to get to that it's worth it worth it people i know all right well hey uh gargantuan show to make up for last week missing but thanks listeners for sticking around and uh thanks of course vayerwatches.com promo code sir 15 thank you always to athleticgreens.com slash surf i've got that right here and then of course linkedin.com slash surf as well uh, uh real quick i forgot uh why is leonardo leonardo punching who's he punching in the mouth again john john why yeah because he's sponsored by k way oh, yeah. technical it. jackets okay good k way after right that go one go to his instagram he just posted about it k way tech got it okay okay good luck text me thank if you need help Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week, Chaz. Hannah will sign us off and then stick around for the Zeke Lau remix by DJ Seaweed. Bon voyage. See that? That was because John was angry. Um, the, you know, Zeke's been hassling John John, getting in his face, but let's have a look at this one. Ezekiel Lau, he's winning that. He's winning that psycho, that strategy, that's tactics well within the rules of surfing and it all stems from the beginning of the heat john john not getting his own way and ezekiel pushing the issue that's how you got to ruffle the feathers of the world champion previous shot you just to get a good start and put the pressure on him early and get that first exchange you know um, uh, just make sure i got the inside and just you know let me set the pace yeah let him feel the pressure a little bit um you know he's a champ you can't give him any room i mean see what he can do under a little bit of pressure i, I didn't tell him to do that he, i was coaching him at the time and i just said put pressure on him <laughs> The paddle circles around him. Jesus. Like, you know, I think Kelly even made him just go, oh, so we know how to raffle John's feathers. It was a paddle by Ezekiel Lau. The priority has shifted. Real Waida does have first priority right now, so there's a glimmer of hope. Wait a minute. Oh, no. That is a... This is a situation. With Ezekiel Lau, with third priority, he did not see the change of the priority, and we may have just seen a horrible interference at the end of the heat that is uh, going to take out the heat leader if it is deemed an interference. This is, this is shock, a shocking moment, Laura. Well, this is going to be heartbreaking right here for Zeke. He was definitely in third priority there. Might not have known it. It's just sinking in right now what has just unfolded. Here's the paddle. Yeah. And that's how he lost priority from our priority judge. This is the infraction. Yeah, and you can see possibly why he might have thought that he lost it, but it's pretty clear the rule book so he just wasn't aware of the switch there. He was in first place. He didn't have to be that a priority interference. Ezekiel out to third and eliminates him from competition. What a shock. That was a shocking conclusion. So I know Zeke was being a good friend, staying close to Rio for me. It was weird. So Zeke paddled for a wave uh, like two and a half minutes to go. Paddle and not really. So it was one of those calls that they could take away priority from him and not. 
and the judges didn't take priority away from him, so he thought he had first priority. A minute and a half later, with 30 seconds to go, I guess the judges watched it back and changed the priority, which was a really late call because the priority switched right before a wave came. So it was a tough decision that Zeke started going, thinking he had first priority, and I tried to yell out to Zeke, telling him, Zeke, don't go, because I just realized right when that wave came, I looked back, and I just realized that somehow the judges switched the priority again. So I feel so bad for Zeke. I mean, that was, that was a tough call. You know, if they switched the priority, they should have done it straight away as soon as Zeke, as soon as they thought that Zeke paddled for that wave, not right before that last wave came. Is it defendable, is, is my question to you? Oh, yeah, I don't. I watched it live, and I just went, that's a huge brain freeze. It was borderline that the one he lost priority on, I thought, because he kind of, someone else paddled for it as well, and he kind of like, but the wave didn't even, not even close to breaking. Was it big enough effort to lose priority when the wave wasn't not even a wave? It's like, do you lose priority when you paddle for a chop, getting position or something? I don't know. He definitely overthought that whole thing, for sure. Even the wave Rio got at the end, he can't get the score on that wave if you have a look at it. What, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, not only that, like, like again, I'd love to I'd love to be able to provide a different opinion to this, but I kind of can't either. Like, worst case scenario, Zeke goes to second. He's in first in a three-man heat where one person loses. I just was, like, thinking, yeah, come on, Zeke. He's, he's a champion out there, you know? Like, he's clearly one of the best guys out there. And it just, yeah, like you said, looked like he might have overthought it. No, oh, definitely. Yeah, it's disappointing, really. I mean, yeah. I mean, he relied on a big result at sunset for sure. And <laughs> just, oh, my God, to lose like that it's like so heavy and now the pressure for him to make the cut you know he's having a baby in a in a minute oh it's horrible i feel i feel for him big time a quarterfinals at sunset which we could have done with his eyes shut you know would put him in a really good position to you know make the cut he's pushing shit uphill now wow this is such mind surfing as well as high performance surfing the tactics come into play more than i did at this event like it was was surf strategy and using the rules to perfection pretty much like in, in a lot of cases except for Zeke Liao who I don't know has he rooted a judge's wife or something I don't know he's, uh, he's having a fucking shocker oh, that was one of the, <laughs> he's the, the one guy who hasn't read the rule book jeez Louise what a brain fade that was you talk about pure melts he was uh, in first place he didn't even have to catch that wave no reason to take off on that wave even if Rio gets the score Zeke is still in second and progresses through the next round Un- that was absolute madness one last bit of controversy that we need to address from Sunset, Hawaiian's favourite son, Zeke Lau. And yet again, Zeke finds himself in an intro. He knew because he pulled straight off the wave. I think he pulled off because he saw how convinced Rio was. Dangerous. If if the purpose was to help a mate, a mate there was a they both flooded at a wave. Or Zeke looked at a wave. It took what 20, 30, 40 seconds, which is a really long time for it to flip. We don't know. But at the time of takeoff, Rio knew and the board said that Rio had and a higher Leo, priority Leo, than Zeke. Rio said he knew because he said he was telling Zeke not to go. So Leo knew, Rio knew, Zeke knew and didn't need to actually, for his own sake, didn't need to ride that wave or any other wave at that point. It's an interference all day long. Rio knew, Leo knew, Zeke did not. I understand it took a while, but from our sources on the ground, we've heard beach comms and the board updated. And they're wearing fucking Apple Watches. Yeah. Fuck the Apple Like, yeah. I'm not trying to shit on Zeke here, but... Yes, you are. If it's 30, 40 seconds, you've gotten away with it. Like... And I can understand why you wouldn't look again. If you're going to burn someone, I'd be fucking looking again. Like, I would be 100% sure. But if your intent is to fade someone, I'd be double-checking that shit. He committed to paddling that wave. He can snap his board and blow up at the judges all he wants. He's got to know that he made a committed paddle for that wave. He's in first, and Zeke still forced the issue, which I take my hat off being... He, he was trying to be a noble friend for Leo and get him through the heat. 
Leo would have got through the heat anyway, even if Rio got that wave. So I just think you, you have to be smarter than that. It's your profession. Like, that is your job. you got to know the rules. Don't blame the Apple Watch. Don't blame the priority disc not turning around straight away. Just going, he kicked for that wave. He paddled with the intent to take off. That's the rule. To his defence, he thought he had priority. After 40, if it's 30 seconds and the thing hasn't changed, it goes in the brain melt category. You cannot justify it in any way, shape or form. He knows the rules. You're saying he doesn't know the rules or it's it's in that fucking meltdown category where any other day you would have checked. For some reason, he didn't check, and he f- he paid the ultimate oh. price. He lost. He got 265 points. That's what I'm saying. He knows the rules. He knows he paddled. Leo knew he didn't have priority. Rio knew he had priority. But if Every- but if I if you paddle, at a, let's just say you're in the trials, you paddle, yeah. three waves go underneath you, you still got priority. You're gonna think you got away with one. No doubt, you would think you got away with it. If two or three waves is going underneath. If the beach commentary you, said it and the disc flipped, I would be like, like it goes in the brain fart category. Two of the three people knew. He stormed the tower, but on you could see as the drone pulled away. You could see, but I think once he was told, like he, the, the video of him with his head down, towel over his head, that fucking hurt to watch because the brain melts are the ones that hurt you most. I actually genuinely feel bad for Zeke, but I just think you got to be smarter than that. You got to yeah, go. That's it. Yeah. It's not that you you've got to be smarter. you got to be smarter and go, hey, look, I've got the two best scores of this heat. Leo has to get a really good wave to get in front of me. Rio has to get an incredible wave. There's 40 seconds left. I'm just going to sit here, go to the beach, and get ready for the next heat. It sucks. You never feel good when someone gets an interference. It's a shit way to lose. It is a shit way to lose. He's pushing shit uphill now. Where do you want to go?